everyone. I'm Ari Meglin here with Rachel Poley and we're your hosts for the Very Writer Podcast. We are on episode 51 and this week's question is, what is the one thing you wish you were better at as a writer? Before we begin, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening so you never miss a show. And if you enjoy this episode, please do give it a like. Today we welcome writer Mark Delina Sr. onto the show. Mark, it is great to have you with us. Thank you. It's good to be here. So is this your first podcast or have you been on others? It is not. I was on Renee's Amuse Bosch Review, I think it's called. Although the funny thing is, I did that back in December, right about Christmas time, and their editing process takes a lot longer. So it has not been released yet. So as far as podcasts being released, yours will be the first. Oh, okay. Wow. Do we do ours really fast? Is that it? Or are we just really slow? Well, I reckon so. You know, we're recording it this week and we release next week. That's pretty reasonable. Some podcasts I've heard, they'll uh, record it and release it like the same night. I don't know how they do that. I couldn't imagine that because obviously we do have to edit and let's see, I think our, we had a 50, a 50 minute episode, which is usually the longest. We try, we try and keep it a lot under that. And it took me over two and a half hours to edit. <laughs> so, mm. so yeah, it's, uh, I couldn't imagine doing everything in one day and releasing it. No, that's way too much pressure. Mm. Oh yeah. I have to say, cause obviously I know you're on Twitter and everything. What does the E stand for in your name? <laughs> You know, the E, surprisingly, <laughs> does not stand for Elderac, even though that's my Twitter name. The E stands for Eugene. I would never have got that oh. at all. I'm named after my uncle, who was, I believe, named after his great uncle. Oh, oh nice. Because obviously, that's whenever we see you on Twitter, it's Elderac that sort of jumps up. And it's obviously just assumed because you've got the E as your initial. That, that would be what it is. Yeah, and that's and that's why I put this in my notes. Elderac is not my middle name. That's a really unusual middle name, and it's like it's not. Though to be honest, it's like I don't hear Eugene very often either. No, Elderac is is the name of a character from a early unfinished collaboration. So I kind of adapted it for my email address, and I use it for various online presences yeah i think quite a few writers have started doing that using like character names or series names as part of their twitter handles or websites and things you see you learn something new every day yes i like it it rolls right off the tongue (laughs) obviously the the main question of the of the podcast is what is the one thing you wish you were better at as a writer and as usual with guests we have broken it down so what area in writing do you struggle with the most Perhaps the area I struggle with most is description. It's not so much that I can't describe something. It's a matter of how much description to use and what to include in that description. Let me give you a couple of examples here. This is from the first draft of the YA novel, Eyes on the Road. His mother was shorter than he was and had light brown hair and blue eyes. She wore a black skirt jacket over a peach blouse. Pinned on one breast was a name tag identifying her as Margaret Hampton, financial advisor of the Royal Bank of Canada. That was from the first draft. Now let me read you what made it into our final publication. He went to the kitchen where his mother would be relaxing before her job at the bank. Bonjour, maman, he said, and kissed her on the cheek. Without peering up from her newspaper, she said in French, your father and I had a talk this morning. So everything from that first description, the only thing that made it to the second description was the fact that she worked at a bank. I was over-describing in the first one, and we trimmed it down to just what was really essential. So all of the description of her appearance is gone, and we get right down to what's important. I think part of the problem is I might just need to adjust the description for the genre that I'm writing. Different genres have different levels of description. You know, action stories usually have a bare minimum of description 
keep the action moving. But that's not always the case. Let me uh, give you an example here. This is from Clive Cussler. It's a book called The Chase, and it's definitely an action story. All right. And uh, here, the MC says, that's a mighty fine locomotive. The engineer looked up. He was shorter than Bell, with strands of salt and pepper hair straying from under his cap. The face was craggy from years of leaning out the cab window in the full stream of a speeding engine. The eyebrows over a pair of sky blue eyes were curved and bushy. Bell judged that he was younger than he looked. Now, that's a pretty lengthy description for something that's very near the end of the book. Now, Romance stories tend to stop and smell the roses. They appeal to the senses so that most romance writers fill their books with details about clothing, appearance, food, flowers, etc. I have an excerpt from Debbie McComer's book, The Inn at Rose Harbor. I was meant to own this bed and breakfast as if it sat on the market all those months waiting for me. It had eight guest rooms spread across two upper floors and the bottom floor, a large modern kitchen was situated next to the spacious dining room. Originally built in the 1900s, the house looked out on a stunning panorama of water and marina. Cedar Cove was laid out below along Harbor Street, which wound through the town with small shops on both sides of the street. I felt the town's appeal even before I had the opportunity to explore its neighborhood. So there we're, we get a, a very thorough description of this bed and breakfast. We'll feature in several of her books because she has a series about the end of the Rose Harbor. And that was from the first book there. But you can see it had details like when the inn was built, you know, how many rooms it had and that sort of thing. Now, when we get to mysteries, mysteries are similar to romance in that they have a lot of details. That's where the writers will hide the clues. And this excerpt is from uh, Sue Grafton's JS for Judgment. And before I read this, let me say that Miss Grafton kind of violates one of the rules about description, but she's a best-selling author, so what can you say? <laughs> I would have checked my reflection, but I didn't carry a compact and I already knew what I would see. Dark hair, hazel eyes, not a smidge of makeup. As usual, I was wearing jeans, my boots, and a turtleneck. I licked my palm and ran my hand across my shaggy head, hoping to smooth down any stuck-up parts. The week before, in a fit of exasperation, I picked up a pair of nail scissors and whacked all my hair off. The results were just about what you would expect. Sounds like kind of a COVID haircut there. But <laughs> you can see that she gives all this, a very lengthy description of herself and avoids kind of backdoors the look in the mirror technique that some writers who uh, use the first person do. Mm -hmm. uh, it's usually better to kind of give us bits and pieces as other people see them. In literature, depending on the author, some will use descriptions to enhance the theme of the of the uh, story, like, you know, the dark brooding clouds, the, the colors in the room and that sort of thing. So we have a wide spectrum of uh, descriptions, either, you know, very, very sparse or to very, very detailed. You know, on one end of the spectrum, we have H.P. Lovecraft, where the purple practically drips off the page. We often joke that it takes three pages to describe what the, the main character has already declared is indescribable. And, and then on the other end, there is Hemingway. And you probably heard, uh, I probably have seen the joke that I tell about Hemingway on Twitter. But anyways, I'll tell it again. Why did the Hemingway chicken cross the street to die alone in the rain? That's one of my favorite jokes. <laughs> But it, it illustrates, you know, how sparse Hemingway's uh, descriptions were. Now, in his book, I'm going to refer to Stephen King's book on writing here. He has some, some suggestions about description. Good description is a learned skill. So you need to read a lot and you need to write a lot to learn that skill. 
good description is a visualization of what you want the reader to experience. Okay, and I'm kind of paraphrasing here. These are not necessarily direct quotes. So, you know, don't come after me, Stephen. Thin description leaves the reader bewildered. Over description buries them in details. Stephen King is not keen on writing that exhaustively describes physical characteristics and clothing. So obviously he would disagree with Miss Grafton. And good description consists of a few well-chosen details that stand for everything else. And I think further in that area, he says about three or four things that would stand out to someone who, who has entered the scene is good for a description. I have to say, it's, it's really weird when you mentioned about the fact that different genres use description mostly in a different way, because it never dawned on me for that, Because maybe because I only, I only mainly write fantasy. But having read things like mystery and romance books, it's so noticeable now thinking back. It's like, yeah, actually, yeah, I do remember seeing a lot more flowery description in romance, a lot more, like a deeper, a deeper sense of description in romance. Mm -hmm. And mystery is always interesting because as you said, that's where they hide the clues. So there's often a lot more description because there's so many clues and then hidden clues and then red herrings but uh, it makes it, it's making me think back to my own description. <laughs> have I been doing it okay? For me, I have to say, like, I agree with you, Mark. Uh, description is one of the areas that I struggle with the most when it comes to writing. I've always excelled in dialogue and a lot of my earlier works, it's mainly just dialogue with, you know, some description in the tags and mm -hmm. that's it. I've never been good at like describing the setting or even physical characteristics or anything like that. And like you, Ari, it never dawned on me that description is going to vary depending on what the genre is either and you know looking at mysteries as I write mysteries <laughs> you're saying the description like a lot of the clues are in the description but with the way I write my stories a lot of the clues are actually hidden in what people say oh yeah ah, so, so it's, it's kind of yeah like instead of working to improve my description I'm just like I'm just gonna keep working on my dialogue <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think I've always found I've enjoyed I, I enjoy descriptions of like places and rooms, not like intense. I've never been one for the, all the descriptions done at once. You know, it's like they go into the room and the, you know there's the chandelier and the thick carpets and tap. You know, where they put everything in like three paragraphs. I don't like a that. table in the middle of the room. Yeah, yeah. It's like yeah. we could. I think it's always. It's always better if it's tied in with action. So you've got a character who's, who walks into the room and the first thing they see is like maybe the opulence of it if they're not used to it. And then maybe they are shunted towards a table where they're picking up like fine china or something. <laughs> I couldn't think of any word of something fine and part, like, you know, crystal goblet or something. And as they're looking around the room, they see somebody stood by an expensive statue. And that's how you kind of, rather than doing this, info dump of description kind of have, mm -hmm. have it wound through but actually going back to the first part where you said about your own draft and the you know you had the the description of the character I think that's quite typical isn't it especially with starting writing we always have that kind of panic where we have to describe everyone and then as you said when you go back through it you're like does this mm -hmm. character need so much description mm -hmm. and, you know, it's like you can just say that, you know, she was like brushing her auburn hair out of her face in the wind and that's enough. So it just goes to show the difference between a first draft and a final draft. Oh, yeah. Uh, my uh, beta reader gave me a hard time about all my descriptions. Like, you got to <laughs> describe everybody, everybody you meet. We toned it down a lot. Yeah. <laughs> 
And it's hard too to decide to go back and look at your writing and decide, all right, well, what does the reader need and what do they not need? Mm. That's one of the hardest decisions. I mean, that's the beauty of editing, but it's very difficult to decide what actually works with the story and what doesn't. Yeah. Perhaps part of my problem is my earlier novels I wrote for NaNoWriMo. And when you do a NaNoWriMo, word count is important. So a nice lengthy description, you're right there. (laughs) (laughs) I'm the same way. (laughs) Except my characters just do stupid crap just to fill in the pages. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, then again, as long as you get your word counts in the end, even if the, if the, the story from NaNoWriMo isn't used or isn't viable, it's just the habit, isn't it? It's helping the habit. So that's always a good thing. It's also writing. And, you know, we'll talk more about that later. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're still building a foundation for something. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I am going to, now that we've talked a little bit about, you know, what we struggle with, I'm going to ask you, what methods have you used to improve your writing craft? Well, I've been writing for a few years, and I will say, best way to improve your writing is to write. Uh, in her book, Writing Magic, Gail Carson Levine has a list of writing rules. The first three rules in her list are the best way to write better is to write more. That's rule one, rule two, and rule three. All right? It's almost like, you know, that one-ups the fight club, uh, <laughs> if you're familiar with the rules of fight club. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, she says the best way to write better is to write more. As I become interested in writing fiction, I started uh, studying to improve my craft. There are dozens, if not hundreds, of books that will help teach someone, ranging from very general to very specific talks. Here's some that I recommend. There's Writing Magic, which I've already mentioned, by Gail Carson Levine. This is more a book more for a beginner because the, the chapters are very short. The language is very easy to comprehend and very easy to digest. All right. And I have sent this book off as uh, a gift, if you will, to many beginning writers. All right. Uh, in fact, I just sent the copy I had off to uh, the daughter of a friend of mine because I'd heard when we were talking, he mentioned that you know she was writing fanfic. So I sent her a copy, hoping that maybe it will help inspire her to write more. But even though it's uh, written for young people, any starting writer can benefit from it because uh, it was a book that I sent to to Carrie when we were first talking about some of her writing and she found it helpful. So it's not just for beginning writers. And I read it myself about once a year. Another book also by Gail Carson Levine is Writer to Writer. Uh, it goes deeper in topics. Basically, she has taken, she has a blog and she's taken a lot of the blog topics and formatted it into a book it's not just a pure blog 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 but she's taken it her answers and questions and put them in a in topical paragraphs or chapters and put them in the book that's called writer to writer now uh, the next one is save the cat writes a novel it was written by jessica brody but it's based on the original save the cat by blake snyder and the original book save the cat describes how to do a screenplay and the kind of the structure for a screenplay. I started out, when I started using Save the Cat, I started finishing stories. Right, before then, I would write and I wouldn't quite get to the end. When I started using, looking at the structure and started kind of following that, I was able to finish my stories. I got to the end. All right. Now, uh, Save the Cat was originally written for screenplays, but they knew that a lot of writers were also using it. So uh, 
unfortunately, Mr. Snyder passed away and Jessica Brody took his works and wrote Save the Cat Writes a Novel, which is a, a, basically a compilation of his original work geared towards novel writing. And it also includes samples of each of the, the, um, the genres that Mr. Snyder included. And another book is On Writing, which I mentioned earlier by Stephen King. The first half of the book is a biography of Mr. King, which is kind of interesting. But uh, the second half is, is perhaps the better half where he gets down and talks about the craft of writing. And that's where I pulled uh, the information for description of that I gave you earlier. Now, other than that, I also listen to podcasts like the Merry Writer podcast, and uh, I don't I don't commute as much as I did because now I'm working at home, so I don't have as much time to listen to podcasts. But when I did, and I had a, a set in my car that could actually play them, then uh, I would listen to podcasts to fill the empty time while I'm driving to and from work. Another place, and that's something I've been doing more lately, and uh, after years of resisting, is reading my text out loud. Now I don't necessarily read it myself, but Word has a program, has a as a function that will read it to you. I let Microsoft Word read it to me, and it's amazing the, thing, the things that I've come across just listening to Microsoft Word reading to and following along as it does. Critique groups are good if you can find one. I've been participating in a weekly critique group called Line by Line Time, sponsored by George Beckman there on Twitter. And that's on Wednesday nights at nine o'clock. Basically, George will post a subject and we will post a clipping of, from our work in progress. We'll discuss it with each other and uh, find ways to improve. Now, this week's topic, which will be tonight, is about description, as it may happen. So I've got already picked out a piece from um, my work in progress that describes a dress that Hannah is wearing at a formal ball in San Francisco. But writers groups and other critique groups can be good, can be helpful if you can find a good one. You know, and that, that's the key. You got to find a good one. Some other things that I'm aware of, but not have, have not yet participated in the writing tracks at conventions. Some of the larger conventions will have a complete track of uh, seminars geared towards writing. I know that the one nearby here in Atlanta called DragonCon, that has a track, but I think WorldCon usually has a track for right just for writers. And uh, some of those big conventions will attract a lot of writers that will provide those seminars. So it'd be good. they're good places to go and learn. Other things are like writing classes. People could check out the local community college, see if there's a creative writing classes that they can maybe even audit that will help them learn a little bit more about the writing craft. You know, they don't necessarily have to go and get a full degree in order to benefit from that. And they're also writing workshops and conferences all over the place. And I might get into some of those sooner or later. Mark, you are so knowledgeable with this stuff. Holy crap. Um, those writing books that you mentioned, I have not heard of writing magic or writer to writer. So mm. I'll be writing that down and picking up a copy at some point. Mm -hmm. I do have Save the Cat by Blake Snyder, but I haven't read it yet. And I think I knew that there was the Save the Cat writes a novel, but that's something that's been on my list. And On Writing by Stephen King, that is one of the, that's a book that pretty much everybody talks about and recommends. And I am just one of those people that have not read it. <laughs> Ari's making a face. Have you not read it either? No. <laughs> I see it everywhere. I think it might be because I I am not a Stephen King fan. 
I have read. I, I think it's probably because I didn't read any of his bigger works. I didn't read it or Pet Cemetery or Misery. I think the first book I read of his was Rolls Matter and I hated it. And then I read halfway through Gerald's Game and I hated it. So I was just like, don't like this. So while I have heard of it and I actually do like listening to him on like this YouTube, on YouTube videos and things, I just haven't got around to, to, to getting that and reading it because, because I didn't like some of his books. Yeah, it's just one. Well, it's one I, of those books that always gets away from you. I I've never read Stephen King. Neither have I, except for on writing. And uh, there was another book of his. I think it's called *Dance Macabre* that deals more with writing horror novels. Now, like, you may not necessarily want to read that one, but if you pick up on writing, you might just want to skip over his biography and go right to the writing section, yeah. as it does have some really good information and it's like anything out there take what you need leave the rest yeah there's a lot of writers who are good at because obviously he's been writing for a long time so he'll have he'll have got better and i think like the book i read rose badder was one of his earlier ones and mm-hmm. i think he's probably it got so much better and obviously he then puts all that knowledge into these books like mm-hmm. on writing so i can imagine it would be a really good book to have i just haven't got it yet Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're, we're behind on that. But I like what you said, take what you need and leave the rest. Um, that kind of brings me on to my next point you mentioned about critique groups. I'm part of a local critique group through my library. And granted, we haven't seen each other in person for a year because of COVID, but we've done our best to try to meet virtually through Zoom. Mm-hmm. at least like once a month or once every couple of months. And I really do highly recommend finding yourself a critique group with the right group of people. My sister and I, we've been part of it since 2015. And mm-hmm. there have been a lot of writers who have come and gone, but each one has given us their own useful piece of information. And it's it's all networking too. You're still meeting new writers, regardless of whether they write in the same genre mm-hmm. or not. And the whole take what you need, leave what you don't. I remember the original person who put together my critique group back in the day, he told us, if you're able to get 30% of the feedback and use that for your novel, that's good. Because in the end, it's still your novel. Like this is all suggestions. It's Mm -hmm. not set in stone. Just because one person says you need to change something doesn't mean you have to do it. And it's, it's really, it's helpful. All right. Let me, uh, add two points here. Uh, First of all, we're talking about critique groups. Now, one of the easiest way to find a critique group is sign up for NaNoWriMo and find your local group of people. Because usually Mm -hmm. they'll hold, you know, little get-togethers during November. And, you know, maybe that'd be a way to find like-minded people that you can start working with. Also, you mentioned YouTube. That's another source of learning that I've recently started using. Like, for example, Mary Robinette Kowal has a series on uh, writing short stories. And some of the other writers have series on writing on those. And uh, again, you know, take what you need, leave the rest. I actually used... um nano to find i was part of my critique group before and then there was one nano i posted my local library i was like is anybody going to be doing nano in this area can we meet up at the library and um a person responded and her and her roommate and my sister and i we all got together at a starbucks and we wrote together and we've been friends ever since we they're part of my writing group now and we also have a dungeons and dragons group together (laughs) 
Oh, see, you make friends. That, that's <laughs> it. That's that's perfect. It's like because I think you know writing is a very solitary thing, so it's kind of nice if you can connect. And while it is nice to do it online, especially now with the pandemic and you can't go anywhere, it's it is nice if you can actually meet them like and have someone face to face and and have those yeah. more like I don't want to use the word intimate because it sounds weird, but intimate groups. <laughs> I know what you mean. <laughs> Can I just say, I love the idea of using Microsoft Word to read because I, I do know that it is supposed to be a really good thing to have your words either read out by yourself, somebody else, or a program because it does catch things you don't you don't hear. Never dawned on me about Microsoft Word. I've always thought about all these other programs like Dragonspeak and, and all these like fancy apps. On your Microsoft Word, all right, you go to the tab that says Review, and then over on, on the left-hand side, it says Read Aloud. You just click that, and it'll start reading from wherever you are. All right, so if you wanted to read the whole document, you got to make sure you go to the front. Also, it has uh, three different voices. I didn't even know this was a thing. I don't think right. mine has that, because I can't see that. <laughs> yeah, you could probably hear it going in the background there. It's reading the, it's <laughs> reading our uh, script here. <laughs> oh, but, but we're uh, not even needed. We don't even need <laughs> to be here anymore. Words can do our episodes. It'll stumble over words, but it's not the names that you're looking, you're worried about. It's, you know, uh, grammar, words you left out, places where you drop the Y off of of, of they. That's, that's a problem I have all the time. I got typing along and Either I will take the first the first letter of the next word and attach it to the previous word, or just drop off a word. You know, I just uh, I don't know if you guys have that problem or not, but uh, one of, a really bad one for me is they. All right, so I'll be going along and you know, uh, the went to the store. What the what went to the store? Oh, that's supposed to be they went to the store. And uh, so it's good for helping find things like that. Pause it, fix it, and carry on. Like there's so many times you edit and by the end you have that editor blindness where you just keep skimming over the same error but mm -hmm. he hearing it in another medium or like even just changing the size of the text makes such a big difference because mm -hmm. it's so frustrating like you know you're on draft seven and you're still finding errors that are so obvious well that's that's one of the reasons we also have uh, beta readers and editors, you know, to to catch those things that we don't. I mean, uh, I work in the tech editing field, and uh, during the day, we have several reviews of a document before we send it out the door. Uh, and even at the very last check, sometimes we will find something that needs to be fixed and and incorporated before we send it out the door. So it's good to have other people look at your work. Beta readers would be the first place. Look at it yourself. Have either read it or have someone read it for you, like Microsoft Word, and then send it off to an editor. All of those helps make your story that much better. I think that leads quite nicely onto our last question, which is what's your strength when it comes to writing? I think my uh, strength is dialogue. When I'm writing, if I can get two or more people talking, the words just flow. I can just get in the zone and get typing dialogue. And before I know it, I got several hundred words down. And but sometimes, like when I'm uh, doing a, a, a word sprint or something like that, I'll just I'll just go and do the dialogue. And then maybe the next morning, I'll have to go back in and put in, OK, who said that? OK, he said this here. She said that and put in the in the dialogue tags and the subtext and description around it. But when I get people talking, you know, the words can flow. So I think I'm pretty good at dialogue. 
you know, if a story requires an MC to be alone for a long time, I might write it in the first person because that means I can go into internal dialogue. All right. Mm-hmm. So it's not, uh, uh, you know, she went here, she did that. She went there, she did that, you know, without any dialogue at all. And that's probably one of the reasons that H.P. Lovecraft doesn't have more of the stories made in the movies because he just has a lot of description, but not very much dialogue. And, you know, when you go, go to a movie, people are always talking. Yeah. So, you know, they'd have to make up a lot of dialogue for his stories. But and you can't do first person in a movie. So if uh, an MC has got to be alone for a long time or especially if an MC is in a detective story or a romance story, then first person is probably a better point of view to use. Although you might want might alter first person between the, the male main character, female character in, in a romance or whatever, and go back and forth like that. But still, first person is quite often used in romance. And I think I'm digressing here from dialogue. But, um, you know, if someone has trouble writing dialogues, they could try these different things. You know, listen to people talk. Either go to a movie, although the dialogue in a movie is not always the best, but listen to the, the, the interaction of the people, you know, or, you know, go in a public place, like, you know, in a mall and listen to people, listen to people talking. And it's not quite necessarily eavesdropping if they're talking loud enough for other people to hear. All right. If you got a strain to hear them, then maybe you shouldn't be doing that. But, you know, as they're walking by, you can hear those bits and pieces of their conversation that could help you. That can inform you on how people talk. And again, we're talking about reading what you write read your dialogue does it sound natural does it sound like something that you could you know walk into a room and hear two people saying remember that dialogue is back and forth between two or more people don't have one person going on and on which brings me to my next point unless someone is given a speech or an explanation keep each bit short maybe two or three sentences three sentences at the most before and you know, flipping it over to the next person have someone respond even you know if they say okay yeah sure great or whatever but have that back and forth going and uh for dialogue give yourself your your characters a foil someone that doesn't necessarily agree with them they may be friendly with them but they don't necessarily agree with them so that they can offer a counterpoint to whatever the the speaker is saying and that helps with the dialogue going back and forth. I have to say, I, I write mostly in third person. And I'm not third person limited. I don't stick to one character. I usually, like, I'm in different heads. And I have been trying more in first person. And it was funny when you mentioned the movies and everything. Because obviously, if you've got, like, a single character, it's hard. Because obviously, unless the character's talking to themselves a lot. I mean, I think of movies where there was, like, one character, like, in the sci-fi movie Moon with... Can't remember his name. <laughs> I want to say Sam Rockwell, but I might be wrong. And then they had to have like a computer that he could talk to and then kind of like figure things out with. But it does remind me of the old um, film noir with the direct the detective who had that like the internal narrator. Everything he did, you know, it was like stood in the rain or watching someone do something or, the, you know, the woman that came into his office and everything was like internal of him talking about it in movies. And yeah, like a, a narrator over yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, so it is interesting especially if you are writing characters who are, are alone a lot it, it mm-hmm. can get a bit awkward if they're unless they're literally just chatting away to themselves but yeah i think that's probably one of the reasons why i do stick to third person i think it's easier 
to write in third person than first person because you have other people's heads you can get into. You have that extra mm-hmm. stretch. Oh, yeah. Well, another advantage of third person is you can show things that's going on that the the main character cannot necessarily see. Yeah. You know. See, with my mystery novel, I started off in first person through George's eyes. And then I realized that was a really poor choice. So after a couple of different POV switches, you know, throughout all the different drafts, I finally settled on third person limited with Lila. Not first person, but like we're still sort of in her head. And a lot of the times when she's by herself, yeah, she's the one talking to herself because I'm terrible at description. <laughs> I think um, I think what's been I've noticed has become quite popular. I didn't remember it being quite popular before. Is people who write first person, but each chapter switches between the two main characters, so you do get to see what's going on in somebody else's head from their point of view. So that used to be if, if you wanted to go in other people's heads, it was third person all the way. And now there seems to be a lot more um, first person, multiple characters in books. Um, so There's- I like that. That's cool. There's a book that I read called uh, An Innocent Traitor, and each chapter was written in first person, but each chapter is a different character, and they cycle between four and five characters. And, wow. you know, when I went from the first chapter to the second chapter, it kind of threw me because, okay, now we got a new person that's in first person. It was actually a pretty good book, but it was just the structure just kind of threw me because you went from first person to first person to first person. I've, heard, I've seen it with the maximum three characters and usually one of the three characters is only in it a few times. They've sort of dropped them in maybe near the end. I can't imagine having more than three, three character views in first person. That seems quite complicated because by the time you got to like character five, you'll have forgotten what character one was doing. So mm. I don't know, that seems a little bit. Yeah, like how does the writer keep track? <laughs> Let alone <Yeah>. the reader. <laughs> uh, well, in, in the one of the work in progress I've got here, my, my beta said, oh, no, the main characters died because I had like several chapters where the main character didn't didn't appear. So I had to go back and fill write some fill in chapters so we can go from, you know, the, the antag to the protag and back and forth. And I, you know, I was working on that and I had to go back and do that. So it's important to keep your main character in the view of the of the reader. Yeah. Otherwise, they'll forget. Well, was that the main character? Or was <laughs> this person the main character? Yeah, I think that that can that can that can happen, especially if you have multiple characters. Like I, as I said, I write third person, and I usually have several characters. Obviously, you can tell the main characters, but I will pop into side characters' heads. And it's usually when I've laid out all the scenes on the floor and I'm putting the chapters, I'm breaking the chapters up, and I'm like, oh, we haven't seen the second main character for like eighteen chapters, <laughs> and then it's like, oh, I need to fix the outline again and it is so easy to if you don't have that kind of overall look where you can kind of spot it it's so easy to forget that you haven't mentioned someone because you're caught up in the story and the character you're writing at the moment that you've forgotten that there's somebody waiting in the wings that needs to come back in (laughs) okay i think we covered loads in this you've covered everything about the guarding dialogue and description and Um, The resources that you mentioned, I will be putting them in the description below because we all love resources. I have to say, just just as an extra point, I have Save the Cat Writes Novel. I have had it for months and it's like next to the bed. I'm going to read that and then I keep forgetting and now I really want to read it because I I am not finishing my work and I need to. And it sounds like that's what I need to do. (laughs) 
Okay, so obviously I want to say a big thank you to Mark for joining us today. Do you want to uh, tell our listeners anything about yourself? Yes, I've been uh, writing on and off for more years than I'm willing to admit. Uh, I wrote my first novel when I was about 13. It was a science fiction piece called uh, Space Pirate Terror. And uh, since I'd not heard the Mary Ryder podcast about authors putting themselves in their work, the main character was a fictionalized version of me. So obviously, I'd have to do a lot of changes to that story before I would able to release it. And then other than uh, paper, school papers and sermons, I didn't write much for a number of years. And after joining the Navy, I took a chance and submitted an article for a gaming magazine. Uh, and that was the beginning of many years of writing articles, newsletters, and gaming supplements. One of the jobs I had in the Navy was an instructor, during which I would have to write course material, prepare lessons guides, write procedures, and write questions. All of this and the technical training that went along with that prepared me in a way for becoming a technical writer once I got out of the Navy. So now my day job is technical writing, and my nights I write fiction. Uh, in 2005, I attempted to write a novel during NaNoWriMo and discovered that I could successfully work in that format, that is a novel format. However, my writing seemed to fall off after December until about two years ago when I asked my writing buddy, Carrie, uh, Carrie Davison from another member of the Mary Writer community and your first guest as it was. And I met her through the Mary Writer hashtag game. Anyways, I asked her to check on me every day for about 21 days, you know, just ask me, what did you write today? And that accountability of having to answer someone every day for like 21 days got me in a habit of writing every day. And since that time, I've been mostly writing every day, either, if not directly writing something, I am researching, I'm brainstorming, I'm editing, you know, I'm working towards a story every day. Since then, we have shared and commented on each other's works. You know, I've, I was helped her with, uh, I was like a beta reader for Soul's Choice and when The Soul Must Go On and her most recent one, the Beneath the Snow. But this past year, Carrie suggested that we write something together. You know, it was just going to start out as an exercise, you know, of, and writing, collaborating together. And it worked amazingly well. Once we got started, it we just got caught up in the story. And what started as an experiment has turned into our first co-authored book. Now, for my YA collaborations, I'll be using the name Mark Gelinas. For my other fiction, I'll be using some variation of Mark E. Gelinas Sr. So that's uh, that's a little bit about me. And you can find me on Twitter at Elderac. And I'm a co-host of the Riderly WIP chat daily hashtag game. And I'm also on Facebook. Awesome. Uh, obviously, all links to Mark's social media will be listed below in the description. So do go check them out and give him a follow. And obviously, try out that hashtag game. We all love hashtags games. As always, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Do let us know one thing you wish you were better at as a writer. Put it in the comments or on Twitter using the hashtag The Merry Writer Podcast. If you want to get yourself some extra content, head over to our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash The Merry Writer Podcast. You can support our show for as little as $1 a month and get your some bonus content do tune in again next week for another episode of the mayor writer podcast where we ask all the right questions thanks for listening bye 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 this podcast is brought to you by scraps of paper we have notes everywhere the music titled inspired is by kevin mcleod licensed under creative commons 1.0